If you enjoy podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Medicine in America, hosted by Anthony Manson and Todd Harrington, shares the stories of physicians, other healthcare professionals, and industry leaders who are changing the way we deliver care. There's an episode that you should check out called Primary Care Reimagined with Subscription-Based Preventative Care Model. It's an inspiring call for a paradigm shift in primary care. All of their episodes highlight innovative ideas at the forefront of the movement to transform our healthcare system. Check out Medicine in America on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Hey, hey, it's Dr. Erica here, and welcome to Better with Dr. Erica, the podcast that's going to help put you back in your life. So guess what? I am so excited about this episode that I almost can't stand it. First, I have not one, but two guests. Yes, 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 two guests. They are some season one faves. You might wonder who they are. So let me tell you. They are Joy Stevens and Chuck Hobbs, and we're going to be discussing colorism. This isn't an episode of complaining about colorism. This is an episode that's going to explore solutions to this problem that affects so many people every single day. It doesn't matter if you do not consider yourself a person of color. This episode can help you too. We all have a responsibility to be part of the solution. There are always so many ways that we can accidentally perpetuate this vehicle of white supremacy. So let's stop the cycle. So you may be wondering what you're going to learn. Well, here goes. So the questions that will be answered on this episode are, what is colorism? Is colorism an American problem? How does colorism show up in everyday life? Why should I even care about colorism? And you notice I'm saying colorism a little bit here. And what can you do to fight colorism? As I said, we are talking about solutions up in here. So you're going to want to stay on to the last moment because this is a great conversation that can facilitate change and assist your journey to allyship or teach you some strategies to uplift your people. This episode is not just for people of color because we can't be the only ones working on a solution. Now, let me be honest. There's no big musical number like good or bad hair from school days. But you're still going to enjoy this episode. We're talking about some heavy topics, but it's still going to be entertaining. So before I talk about it too much, let's just go ahead and get to the episode. Welcome to another episode of Better with Dr. Erica. I am your host, Dr. Erica, Harvard-trained, double-board certified psychiatrist and integrative lifestyle coach. I'm so excited for you to be with me because this is a super special episode because guess what? I don't have one guest. I have two. Yes, I said I have two guests. I'm living all the way on the edge today. There's always been this conversation around skin color and colorism. So I'm 
I'm looking forward to the conversation that we're going to have for you today with two of my super friends around colorism. But this isn't just going to be a talk about what colorism is and how much it sucks, because we all know it sucks. That's not really up for debate. But we're going to also talk about what are some practical things that we can all do to be better. Because just as you've seen both of these guests before, Joy Stevens was on before, Chuck Hobbs was on before, and we've also had a lot of conversations about getting better understandings of each other and allyship, it's important for us to start becoming more sensitive to these issues and changing our own behavior, because sometimes we do things that play into these issues, even though that may not necessarily be our desire or intent. But instead of me just telling you all about the show, let's go ahead and get to it. So the first guest I'm going to introduce is Chuck Hobbs. Chuck Hobbs is my Morehouse brother. He's also an attorney. He's a truth teller. He is a writer. And I have to say writer because he's not just a blogger. He also does a lot of video content. I literally don't think I can say all of his titles. So as you know, my ministry is not reading bios. So Chuck, can you tell the peeps a little bit about yourself? No, sure. Uh, it's great to be here with you again, Dr. Eric, and always great to be with our dear friend, Joy Stevens. Um, and I look forward to today's discussion. Uh, again, you have hit most of the biographical stuff uh, out the park. Uh, I'm a native of thank Tallahassee. You. Thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And uh, went to Morehouse College and then also got a master's degree from FAMU, Florida A&M. University and uh, JD from the University of Florida uh, 11 College of Law. And so over the last 30 some odd years, not even, I guess, 25 or so years, I have tried to fuse my passion for history, the law and um, writing into both my professional careers, as well as just my hobbies that are now more and more becoming my professional careers. So with that, again, I do a lot of writing, as uh, Dr. Erica said. Uh, for a number of newspapers across the country, New York Times, Miami Herald, Tallahassee Democrat, the Grio, you name it, I've written pieces for them. But most of my attention uh, these days is centered toward my own blog, Observation Point, uh, a newsletter, which went finally uh, paid model in May. And I'm so grateful that both of you sisters were among the initial payees, uh, making sure that Chuck Hobbs gets that money. And uh, and again, it's been a lot of fun over the last three or four months being able to uh, give my opinions, but also to see that uh, the bank account is getting on swole, like the folks say, from giving those opinions that I used to give out for free. So, so, so what's anyway, Chuck taking us out? Exactly. Just as soon as this COVID crap gets right, right? I just got through uh, with my third shot uh, last week, I'm still somewhat sluggish. The third shot was worse than the first two combined, but I'm glad that I have taken it seriously with the vaccination. And just as soon as I feel comfortable, I'm going to get back to riding out. And I look forward to us being able to eat and drink and uh, uh, smoke cigars sure. <laughs> and whatnot. <laughs> I'm gonna let you uh, smoke the cigars. I'm I'm, I'm asthmatic, okay. so that's not my jam. But okay. but you know I'm I'm putting together a list of very nice restaurants so that we can collect yeah. on all of these all of these dinners we've been talking about for Absolutely. for so long. 
been t- looking forward to it, y'all. Oh, thank mm-hmm. you so much, Chuck. That was such great information. And next up is Joy Stevens. She has a couple of nicknames, which I'm going to start with because they are so entertaining. Uh, one is the Harriet Tubman of corporate America. <laughs> but really, she is also my Spellman sister. I've known her for way too many years because I'm not going to give away how old either one of us are. You're going to have to do a really good internet search to figure that out. But not only is she my Spellman sister, she has done so much. You know, she started off doing chemistry and chemical engineering and doing all of these just intriguing things from research to sales to training, but then transitioned into becoming an entrepreneur, is a business coach, is a corporate culture consultant, is an expert in diversity, equity, and inclusion. If you need someone to come talk to you or your organization about DE&I, you don't want to miss her. Like literally, you do not want to miss this sister. She's also the best place to be for an apocalypse which is really underscored by my recent watching of all things, the walking dead. I know where I'm going. If something goes down, um, I will be at joy's house. That's where you can find me. That's where I will be broadcasting from. But all of that to say is she's thoughtful. The thing both of these guests have in common is they're both truth tellers. They both tell it like it is, but joy, can you tell the people a little bit more about yourself? Oh, and she's on radio. I left that out. She's the co-host of Thoughts and Moments, and she's also on a show with Chuck Hobbs called Steel Sharp and Steel. I I think I got most of it now. You did. You did. I'm trying to see if I can fill in the gaps here. Um, And thank you for having me on the show here today, Erica. Um, I am Joy Stevens. I am a diversity, equity, inclusion consultant with Actually, we have, I have two companies now. So I have New Heights Academic and Leadership Consulting, which is mainly focused on training and corporate culture consulting, as you mentioned. But this year, I also opened up a second company called Strategic Diversity Partners, which expanded on that. And it also includes like data consulting, um, data analytics, uh, finance, insurance, et cetera, et cetera, to make it more holistic. So we can come into an organization that doesn't know what to do and get like walk away after like six, eight months with a whole plan. Like if you didn't know anything about diversity and even if you had been in a little trouble and wanted to clean up your image, we can help with all of that going forward. So it's been a ride. It's been interesting. I'm I'm glad to see, uh, cause I was worried after the end of 2020 that the passion or the fervor for diversity work will start to die off and people will be on to the next shiny thing. I'm really glad that here we are at the end of 2021 and people are still trying to do what's right. So it gives me hope for the future. But about, uh, back to me. So like you mentioned, Spelman class of 95. And Spelman class of something in the past. And uh, also graduate from Georgia Tech, dual degree, chemical, chemistry and chemical engineering, got my MBA from Webster University, uh, certified life coach, uh, certified diversity, diversity, equity, inclusion consultant. And um, I have my, my own little YouTube show called Thoughts and Moments that I tend to put out content for a little bit randomly now because um, I was using it to build my business. And now it has almost become like a, an afterthought, but I like to send out things from a coaching standpoint now and then. So if you look up a moment of joy on YouTube, you'll find me there. 
as well as Thoughts and Moments on Thursday nights, five o'clock on Facebook and Steel Sharp and Steel that I do with Chuck when we get a little bit looser and a little bit more political on Friday nights, about 8.40 EST. That is that is the most fun thing I like to do on a Friday night. Like I don't want to go out anymore because uh, um, it's an hour. I'm not fun. I'm no longer fun. I used to be one of the fun things she did, but apparently, but well, when the apocalypse st- hit, you know, well, when 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 everything shut down and we couldn't go out, out, um, we could stay in, and I could get all the things off my chest that I want to get off on a Friday night. Um, it was it's my classy boozy ratchet podcast, you know, on a Friday night. It, it, it's okay. I I still feel loved, even though you know I'm not your favorite Friday night activity. I mean. We'll it's take okay. that about what my favorite Friday night activity was, but this is a family show, so no, we'll move no, on. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Um, so See, what, I like to make Chuck blush. That's one of my favorite things to do. Look at him. Look at him. <laughs> well, unfortunately, the people can't see him, but we can see him. Yes. Um, if you could see the faces and the all the blushing. So we're going to make it easy on Chuck, mm-hmm. is I'm going to do a quick couple of this or that questions with the two of you so the people can get to know you just a little bit more before we get into the deep stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay. So both of you get to answer. The first one is steak or sushi? Chuck. Steak. Joy. Absolutely sushi. Ah, surf and turf in the house. All right. Mm-hmm. All right. The next one is ice cream or cake? Joy. Ooh. Ice cream. Chuck. Cake with ice cream on top. <laughs> and the funny thing is, when I wrote this question, all I could think of is that dang sugar chateau, the cake in a jar. Yo, mm. if, if you Google sugar chateau desserts, if you don't know about the cake in a jar, you're missing out on life. I'm telling you, look it up. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. The next one is iPhone or Android? Chuck. Team Android. <gasps> Chuck. Let's our pearls. <laughs> oh, Joy. iPhone. And the last one is tea or coffee? Joy. Coffee. Chuck. Bourbon. Uh, (laughs) You are such an attorney. (laughs) Right, right. But no, but seriously, uh, coffee over tea. Definitely. Okay. Uh, That was funny. I was not ready for the bourbon. So so now that people know you a little bit better. So one of the reasons I'm having both of them here for this conversation is I knew they would be very thoughtful but could also be solutions focused because the one thing that happens with some of these topics is people get together and it ends up being two steps away from trauma bonding or who has been wrong the most. Mm. And I wanted to have a conversation that was a little bit more educational and also solution focused, but let's start it off. We're going to start it off basic and either of you can chime in or both of you with what do you consider colorism to be? Mm, I'll take this one. Okay. So, DE&I, hat on for a second. Colorism is an offshoot of racism, and all of its system stems back from white supremacy. Now, you can have a preference for um, eye color, skin color, facial structure, et cetera, et cetera. There's nothing wrong with having a desire to see something that you personally find attractive. Colorism specifically is the desire or the um, finding of lighter skin tones um, more desirable or more advantageous, more attractive, specifically because they're lighter. Not because you find them more attractive um, in, the, in their own right, but because you see them as better. Colorism says lighter is better 
because it is more approximate to a whiter skin tone. Um, everywhere that you go in the world, and it's not an it's not a Europe, it's not an American problem, it's not a Louisiana problem, it's not a Southern problem. It is a global issue, and it is all about anywhere that European colonialism or imperialism has touched the world and stated unequivocally that European fair, you know, Aryan, Germanic, whatever you want to call it, Scandinavian skin tone, blonde hair, blue eyes, fair, you know non-melanated skin was better, either through um, military might, um, monetary advantage, et cetera. They went into these areas and put themselves in charge. And they did mix with the local races and created these lighter skin tones. And they also had advantages. They were the master's child. They were the conquistadors, offshoots, et cetera. And they created these caste systems all over the world. And we still live by that to this day. And it is infected, for lack of a better word, the worldview of what beauty was everywhere. Also what power was, what preference was, what dominated the world. And we live with it to this day. So colorism is not just, I think light eyes are pretty. We've reduced it to that in some places. Colorism specifically is seeing lighter skin as better advantageous to a prosperous life. And for a long time period in history, it was. And we cannot overlook that because it plays into how people treated each other from 1450 to yesterday. And so that is what colorism is. No, no doubt about it. And uh, I would just add that colorism is like a mental cancer of some sort. And I know we have uh, Dr. Erica here who can who can tell me whether I'm off base with that. But it is something that deep down inside. and, And that's why I'm so grateful to be able to have this conversation with you two. Uh, sisters, because I know that both of you think deeply, uh, as many of our brothers and sisters who come from the HBCU world or or, or just the world period. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't want to delineate, but I, I will say that those of us who come from the HBCU tradition, we have been dealing with these topics uh, nonstop since our freshman year. Uh, you know, even the great movie, and I know we'll talk about it at some point in time, School Days, mm-hmm. which came out mm-hmm. when I was in 10th grade. Uh, so that means you all would have been, I won't say what grade y'all were in, because I know ladies don't like to discuss their ages, so to speak. But when I was in 10th grade and school days came out, on the one hand, you know, our entire, um, we were at the Bethel Missionary Baptist Church lock-in. And so there were about 200 black kids from Tallahassee who all for two days were in the church basement, uh, praising God technically, but really being heathens uh, in some ways, <laughs> even at the church, uh, talking, trying to holler, getting phone numbers. I don't things. get it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it, it was wild. But one of the coolest things that they did is they got some buses and they took us to see school days on opening weekend. What was really cool about it was, well, when I say cool, one of the things that I, I, I that still hits me is the Madame Riri's uh, beauty shop, the good and bad hair mm-hmm. issue. Um, the whole light skin versus dark skin piece, uh, that thing was poignant. And it was poignant because it's something that I dealt with. It's something that we all have dealt with our entire lives, be it the uh, preconceived notions that people have. Um, man, it's so it, this thing, this conversation on this podcast will get just as deep as y'all allow. But again, me and a couple of my friends, uh, all of whom have gone on to do really well in life, we used to jokingly call ourselves the blue black uh, brothers were back in the 1980s. And, and, and that was because what we used to joke about was contrary to some of our boys. And I'm talking about, they were our friends. So, you know, we were just really giving them the business, but some of our lighter skinned brothers, we always used to joke that the blue black boys never got to be 
uh, escorts for uh, for the little queen and princess pageants. Uh, they always, you know, the girls in the 80s always got their, the, our fellas that look like Al B. Shore or El mm-hmm. Bard, uh to escort them or or to be their kings, the class kings. Uh, the blue black boys used to be against uh, being ring bearers because no one ever asked us to be a ring bearer in uh, weddings <laughs> when we were little kids. So we did it as a joke. But you know how they say there is truth and jest. Uh, when I look back at it, mm-hmm. I think to a great extent, some of us were hurt that, you know, when we were little old boys, uh, I'll tell you straight up, the girl that I had the biggest crush on in sixth grade, I asked her to go to the middle school Valentine's Day uh, dance with me. And she told me she would if I could make myself look like uh, Elder Barge or Michael Jackson. And and that kind of messed with me um, because, again, I get it. I mean, at the time, the Barge was like one of the top groups and everybody knows that Michael Jackson and the Jacksons were like that group uh, in the 1980s. But here I was, an 11 year old boy sitting up, literally looking in the mirror, thinking, well, maybe if I got one of those jerry curls and, um, you know, maybe if my skin was lighter, maybe this girl would like me. And and to his credit, thank God I had my father, who I look a lot alike, um, who laughed when I asked him about the jerry curl piece. He was like, he said, boy, he, there's nothing wrong with the way your hair looks or the way you look. He said, just keep getting that lesson. Keep uh, playing ball and, and doing all the other extracurricular stuff you're doing, and you're not going to have any problems getting any girls. And, uh, and he was right about that. But at 11, I didn't know that. At 11, I was really sitting there thinking that there was something wrong with me because I was dark-skinned with what was considered uh, peasy head or nappy hair or whatever it is that you want to call it. So, again, I'm looking forward to this conversation today, uh, not just in terms of what we went through, but what are some ways that we can go about trying to make it so that that generation and the generations coming after us don't have to deal with some of the psychological damage that so many prior generations have uh, among black people. Oh my God, this is a great conversation. So don't go anywhere. We will be right back with more conversation from my amazing guest and yours truly on Better with Dr. Erica. Better with Dr. Erica. It's time for Get Your Better On. So let me tell you how I was getting my better on recently. I had the absolute best date. Guess who it was with? It was with me. I had a date with myself and I am some great company. And I had such a wonderful time having dinner on a rooftop that didn't have hardly any people on it because you know, I'm a little, I'm a little skittish when it comes to being around a lot of people since we still have the pandemic going on. But it was perfect at the perfect view. The breeze was just light and I could feel it brush across my skin. And then it was just the perfect amount of sunlight as the sun went down. Not to mention the food was great and I was even able to read a new book. But one of the things I just want to encourage you and why this was a real get your better on moment was I slowed down enough. So first thing, slow down. Two, I did something I really wanted to do. Not what someone else wanted to do, what I wanted to do. So do something you want to do. And three, be present and actually enjoy it in the moment. I wasn't sitting thinking about the next thing. I wasn't thinking about everything I had to do. I wasn't thinking about every errand I wanted to run. I was literally sitting there enjoying my book, the food and the scenery. And the food, y'all, was yummy. 
But I just want to encourage you to also get your better on. So back to the show. Better with Dr. Erica. Everyone's narrative is is not the same. You know, as you mentioned, it's global. So you'll see the things about the whitening creams in Africa. Right. Different, India, different. Korea. I mean, China. you'll see in Hawaii where people don't want to get a tan. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's it's just kind of some of everywhere, but the interesting thing is, everyone's experience can be very varied. Um, even if you were to take ten people that people would consider darker skinned and ten that people would consider fair, they might all have totally different experiences. Like for me, when I was younger, this wasn't a lifelong issue because I wasn't as aware. I wasn't acutely aware of colorism till I got to college. Um, probably because my family has intermarried a lot, um, even though both of my parents are just regular black, that my entire family, if someone looks like a family photo on my mom's side, it looks like United Colors of Bella Benetton. That's just how it looks. So I didn't become acutely aware until I, I was so proud and lower manly. I got this button that said, proud to be black. And then everybody kept stopping me saying, you aren't black, you're yellow. And I'm like, but I'm black. <laughs> or, or you're at work and you're, you're dealing with the fact that the white people go get a tan and then they come back and put their arms next to you and go, I'm darker than you. <laughs> yeah, so that's that BS. You know, and I, I think it's always been kind of interesting in my personal space because my mother is fair and she has very fine hair with big, humongous curls. The ironic thing is she wanted hair like me. I was wondering why my hair wasn't like hers. And ironically, my mother has a whole lot of things she's pissed off about that have to do with how she actually looks. And ironically, in a world that from a colorism standpoint would have said she had one of the ideal looks when she was growing up, she was petite. She has wavy hair. You know, they would have said, Oh, that's it. But my mother actually felt ugly, which is bizarre, which Mm -hmm. is one of the reasons we're having this conversation is because people can be in different spaces Mm -hmm. and have different feelings about it. And a lot of these themes really impact how people have self-talk, what kind of messages that you're telling yourself. If you're telling yourself that you're attractive or that you're smart or that you're pretty, and it makes no sense that in this culture, how you look has anything to do with your intelligence or personality. (laughs) But unfortunately, people will will feel like their intelligence or their personality or any of these things are all related to what their skin color is. People are starting to understand the idea of pretty privilege now. People believe you because you're attractive. They think you're smarter if you're an attractive man. There's some some issues with that as well. Um, they think you're telling the truth if they think you're attractive, which is that plays into that white woman calling the police thing right there. So yeah, pretty privilege is a thing. Um, it's something that has been tacitly understood because uh, part of my background in corporate America is being in sales. You very rarely will you see an unattractive salesperson because we want you to buy things from us and we hire what we believe to be attractive people for that reason. It's never expressly stated, but it does play into who gets hired into um, customer facing um, positions. So and I know, there. I know Chuck mentioned some of his early experiences. How did you start becoming aware of colorism, Joy? Hmm. So this is interesting. Um, 
I, so I am, for those who can't see me, I am light-skinned, as they will say. <laughs> oh, Lord yellow, Jesus. Red bone, yellow hammer. I've been called all kinds of things. My dad called me yellow hammer growing mm. up. That was his nickname for me. My dad is very dark, was very dark skinned. And my mom is light brown, medium brown, I guess, or was, both my parents passed. And so I grew up here in Yellowhammer, and I just thought that was my dad's nickname. I didn't know anything about it. But when I was in the seventh grade, I was the only light-skinned girl on the school bus going to school every morning. I got bullied for being light-skinned, and they called me all kind of light, bright, almost white. Um, are you mixed, blah, blah, blah. And they used to beat me up for being light-skinned because I was quiet. And when you are light-skinned and quiet, you are a stuck-up B-word. Whether you are or not, because that's what they believe. And they I can speak about this objectively now. They were projecting their own thoughts about who they thought I was onto me. I was just shy in the background. But and I learned to cope by the end of the seventh grade by becoming jokey, loud, a little bit, you know, blue blue humor, etc. The personality that I have now was built in the seventh grade to stop me from getting my butt kicked. Um, the pe- the person that all of y'all met in college. Loud, boisterous, joy, life of the party, drink a bottle of booze on the floor. All of that was built around, I don't want to get beat up no more for being light-skinned, so I'm going to be wild. And so, like you said, it affects people in a lot of different ways. I don't hold it against them because I don't know what they went through. But that's what I went through, and that's when I first experienced it, was in the seventh grade, discovering that I could not be pretty and quiet. What they thought was pretty. I didn't really believe I was pretty until I was 27 years old. Um, if you ever meet my friend Danny, he was with me when I discovered that I was cute. There's <laughs> a whole story behind that. I looked in the mirror. I, was, I looked down a hallway and I saw a pretty person and I was like, oh, she's pretty. And then I realized it was a mirror and I did not know it was me. And I was like, oh, I'm really pretty. And he's like, yeah, stupid. Why, are you really this vain that you're just going to call out that you're really pretty in the middle of the day? And I was like, no, I just figured this out just now. And he didn't believe me. And then we had to have a whole discussion about why I just figured it out at the age of 27. But um, you never know what your what your parents tell you, what your friends, when they think you need to be taken down a notch and they repeat things to you that they think are putting you in your place and they destroy your self-esteem. A lot happens, you know. Wow. Yeah, that that's that's profound. And, and you know, what's interesting is uh, on that similar vein, I think it was around you know, because guys go through it too, but it's different, right? Like for instance, Joy, you had made a comment earlier about how perception of whether you're handsome or whatnot can affect sales. And I and I totally agree with you on that. Like, or even if you look at the news, most times on the news, most men and women who you find as anchors or hosts uh, generally are attractive men and women, mm-hmm. uh, depending on what, 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 what your type is, but generally considered universally nice looking people. And for me, uh, to segue back into uh, Erica's question about when, um, I think it was around ninth grade was when I first really started to consider myself handsome. I mean, you know, your mom is always going to tell you you're handsome. You know, your mama's going to tell any little boy, you're so handsome. And but, you know, they're biased because they love you pieces. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, Dad wasn't so noncommittal about it other than just the sixth grade comment, which is you keep doing what you're doing. And you're not going to have any problems attracting girls. And so that meant something to me in sixth grade. I didn't see that path forward. But I tell you what it happened for me. I'm the baby in my family, uh, the youngest of four. And uh, I have three older sisters. And so what was cool is we went to a school that was kindergarten through 12th grade. So when I was uh, in elementary school and my sisters were in middle and high school, 
um, one of the things that made me somewhat popular was that, like, I knew all of the popular it girls that were in middle school and high school because they were friends with my sisters. So, like, if the elementary school kids, if we were marching in our single file line to the cafeteria and we'd have to pass through the middle school and high school departments, you'd have all of these girls that all of us had crushes on. Like, hey, Chucky, because that's what my family and friends who know me, they all call me Chucky. Hey, Chucky, you know, they come up, give me a hug. And all the boys be like, dang, man, how you know her? How you know her? Whatever, whatever. And so fast forward in the ninth grade when um, my youngest sister was a freshman. And I won't call her name out because she's a observation point supporter and she might be listening. But um, one of her good friends and who had been on the Chilean squad with her and all of that, one of the it girls at FAMU High, they were at FAMU at this point. She was a cheerleader at this point at the university and what have you. And they happened to be over at our house. Uh, picking up some stuff when I walked in uh, one afternoon from baseball practice and I could hear as I was walking down the hallway because by ninth grade I was already same height I am now about six one and a half closer to six two I was about a good 175 180 and I was starting to develop that muscle tone right and so as I'm walking down the hallway I hear this it girl say to my sister Tracy damn Chucky getting fine and man, when I heard Chucky getting fine, you, you, man, look, <laughs> you could, and, and from her too, you get where I'm coming from. I was like, man. And you still can't about. tell him nothing. You still can't tell me nothing, <laughs> right? Right, right. Even at 300 something, I'm like, hey, I, I'm me. But anyway, the point being is that our, how we perceive ourselves, you know, is so important. And, 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 and if we can push past, when we talk about solution paced, if we can push past, the old archaic notions of this type of skin complexion, this type of hair texture, as mm -hmm. Erica was talking about, this type of body shape is, you know, preferable to that because we all have different preferences. Some people like skinny, some people like fat, some people like thick. It, it, it all depends. But at the end of the day, you have to like yourself. You have to, and, and, and I know that sounds simplistic, but it's so true. And until you get to the point where you can look in the mirror and be like, you know what? Yeah, I could lose some weight because it'll make me healthier with my diabetes or my hypertension. But if you can still look in the mirror and be like, but Negro, you still look good, even at 300 and some pounds. That, that's where we have to get the majority of our people, men and women, uh, so that we can get past all of the depression and even suicides that emanate yes. from that issue. Well, and I think that stuff is even worse now that there's social media, because back in the day, if people were dealing with their immediate sphere of influence and what people were saying about you, if they were saying you were pretty or if they were saying that you were ugly, if they were saying your skin's too dark, your skin's too light, your hair's too nappy, your hair's cute because it's straight, you have good hair, you have bad hair. All of these things were limited to who could talk to you or what you could see on TV. <laughs> or what you heard on the radio. And it seems like it's so much different now because number one, there is all of this chatter on social media that's just noise in general. But the other is, is that not only is there so much of people talking about what's beautiful, what's handsome, is there are also a lot of artificial versions of people so that people, not only are you dealing with the fact that folks may or may not be comfortable with the color of their skin. Well, after someone has used a million filters or had multiple mm -hmm. procedures or takes 200 pictures and then posts one all the time, it's, I feel like for young people, 
it's so hard for them to feel good about themselves. And one of the things that's huge about both of the narratives that you gave is it underscores the power of all of our words, the power of the power of your words to others and the mm-hmm. power of your words to yourself and how how we all need to continue to be more responsible with how we use our words, especially around these topics. Absolutely right. And um, I'm going to throw Hollywood under the bus and run it over a few times real quick because, um, you know, I'm I'm really big about saying that representation matters. And it's more it's more than just saying, let's put, you know, let's put a dark skinned girl in this group, you know, whatever. It's when you do have someone who is brown, you know, you you get past the, the Vanessa Williams and the Halle Berry's of the world. Um, and and the Jennifer Lopez's as well, because from the Latina view, she is also very light skinned. You know, you get past all of that and you start putting in the Viola Davises and let's let's stop making her be a maid. Let's let her be a love interest. You know, that's what I, even though the first season of um, Insecure, I was like, these kids make some bad decisions. But I really loved seeing dark chocolate skin tones in like love scenes. And it wasn't like, it wasn't covered. It wasn't under the sheets. You seeing black people having beautiful sexual, you know, relationships. And, it, you know, it wasn't like, ugh, you know, it, it, it wasn't rough. It wasn't um, like they like to try and make it seem overly sexualized. It was pretty. It was beautiful. And I loved her for that. And um, I have seen, like, if you look at some of the images of Scandal, as they take Olivia Pope through the seasons, some of the still shots for that, she gets lighter along the way. And Hollywood has done a very uh, insidious job of lightening skin tones, especially when they can filter, like you said, through um, through things like that. Beyonce, they do it to her. She doesn't approve of it. And, you know, I, even though I even though I'm, you know. I, I got a love and hate relationship with Beyonce. Houston. I, she, she, doesn't, she doesn't approve of it. But um, depending on the clothes that people wear and the light that hits them, you know, um, if you're backlit or lit a certain way, you may your skin may shine a little bit more. And they'll they'll pick the ones that make her look lighter because they are trying to appeal to a broader audience. You know, the whole idea of crossing over to a, a, a white audience. They do that and then, but they don't understand how that is making these black icons look to, you know, the whole POC world. You know, they're still trying to put forward this idea that only light skin sells, and it's absolutely not true. So um, I'm loving to see, you know, Lupita Nyong'o. I'm loving to see Viola Davis. I'm loving to see, I'm I'm trying to pick some more names out real quick, and I'm I'm stumbling. And the fact that I'm stumbling is sad, because there should be more names that I can pop into my head on a dime. You know, um, I'm loving the fact that Afro-Latina are, getting more and more play because uh, I mean we talked about school days I didn't know Giancarlo Esposito wasn't black till like five years ago like not just you know from Detroit like yeah in my mind big brother Dean Almighty really was from Detroit you know mm-hmm. I just completely mm-hmm. ignored the fact that his name was Giancarlo Esposito I just missed all of that um but even even the idea like I remember hearing what was it around 2014 2015 when they finally put um Afro-Latina as an option in Mexico, all of a sudden there's 1.4 million Afro-Latinas in Mexico because they had the option to pick it. And I was very happy for them to have that representation as well. So, you know, you have to let people see you. 
That's what I do for a living is trying to help people get seen wherever they are. Um, I'm off on a tangent, but um, if we're talking about solutions today, I've mentioned earlier, it all goes back to white supremacy. If we can get rid of the power structure that supports white supremacy, then we can lose the, the racism that goes along with it. And then it, it just becomes random, random ideas, random color, ra- random facial structure. You don't have to worry about the size of somebody's nose or lips, or whatever. It's just whatever you like. It just becomes preference. And it's okay to have a preference. When you take away the power of one preference over another, then the preferences don't matter. And so we've got to get rid of that power differential. We get rid of the power differential, the preferences become a non-issue. And so we got to get rid of white supremacy. It all goes back to that as far as I'm concerned. You know, it's interesting, uh, Joy, uh, if I may, Erica, um, mm-hmm. with regards to what you said about the, the power structure of white supremacy, because even in uh, something, and I know I'm going to touch a nerve with this, in the last 12 years, as much as we all loved, voted for, contributed to, and supported Barack Obama when he ran for president in 2008, um, and then again, our current vice president, Kamala Harris, in 2020, you know, there was a strong undercurrent on the internet, even back then. And, you know, this was the early days, I guess, of Facebook, 2007, 2008. But there were a lot of black people who were saying behind the scenes that if Barack Obama was my complexion, uh, he'd never have been president. Yep. Um, there are a lot of people who felt that even last year uh, that Kamala Harris was not even as good of a pick for vice president as Val Demings. Uh, and I know that's open to interpretation and, and perspective, and we all won't necessarily agree or disagree, but I did see that issue get raised in some of the forums that I participate in, which is, was Kamala deemed the better candidate uh, for that vice presidential slot because uh, she is more palatable to white people because of her complexion? as opposed to Val Demons, a darker-skinned sister. And, and and so the fact that it was 2020 and we were still mm-hmm. having to deal with that type of question as opposed to, well, maybe strategically having Kamala from California or maybe her experience in the Senate, whereas Val Demings has been in the House and from Florida. I mean, analyzing it from a pro and con standpoint from their their credentials and what they brought to the table aside from how they looked it, it, it kind of just bothered me and i was taken aback just to be honest with you that damn we're still dealing with this in 2020 and probably we'll still be dealing with it until uh you know we're no more listen this conversation is nothing without you so stay right here and we'll be back in a few moments better with dr erica It's time for the better tip of the week. I know the pandemic just keeps going on and on and on and on. I want to remind you to make sure that you are intentionally getting fresh air because it's so easy to end up in the house working and recovering from doing all the things. And this is even worse because it continues to be lack of boundaries between work and home, especially with so many of you still working from home or just having to bring work home, even if you're going into the office. I wanna remind you that you can do simple things such as take walks, work out outside, do yoga on your porch, just get some deep breaths, maybe have some tea or coffee 
on a patio, grab lunch when it's not crowded outside. There are so many things that you can do to just integrate some fresh air time. And I wanna encourage you to be intentional of getting it because not only will you get that sun and vitamin D, but there's something great about reconnecting with nature. If you're brave, you can even go outside barefoot, someplace you feel like is safe, which for me would be like your yard, or I do it on my patio, and it allows you to do some grounding with direct contact with the earth. But I just wanna encourage you to get some fresh air. That's the better tip of the week. Now back to the show. Better with Dr. Erica. It's very important how we use our words ourselves. Because I think on on one hand, there's this level of self-work all of us have to do to feel comfortable and confident with ourselves and also to feel like we have a good sense of self, not a sense of self that's derived from what everyone else told you who you are, mm-hmm. but a sense of self that comes from how you were divinely created and what is actually in your heart and your spirit. And I feel like a lot of the things that go wrong with a lot of these is, is, and it goes for every single color of the spectrum, is all of this, all of this talk people get when they're younger of you're pretty because you're light, or you must be a bee because you're light, or you're ugly because you're dark, or you're not as smart because you're dark, or you're mm-hmm. not as attractive because of the skin tone, or you're you're pretty for a dark skinned girl. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all of this language. And a lot of times the language isn't necessarily always coming from people that you would automatically identify as an enemy, which is why I think it's very important for us to be number one, cognizant of our words, you know, to, to not start making, there are a lot of ways you can describe hair that doesn't have a judgment on it, but Mm -hmm. culturally there was a lot of good hair, bad hair, nappy hair, nice hair. And one of the beautiful things about the natural hair movement was starting to have an understanding that all hair could be beautiful, no matter what texture it is. But I think it's important for all of us, as they say, to check ourselves before we wreck ourselves Mm -hmm. and to check what language you're giving to other people. But also some of these things have caused serious, significant emotional and psychological damage. And there's there's not going to be an Oprah special or something or or one more documentary on colorism that's going to make you feel good. Is that no. at some point, some of these things, and it depends per person because some people, it's like you've seen it, you've experienced it, or you know, all my listeners may not be people of color, is that it may not have caused you some deep moral or emotional injury. But there are a lot of people that there are a lot of deep-seated issues because of this that it would be great to see a therapist for mm-hmm. because you want to be able to firm up yourself in your own identity. Actually, nobody, no one can do that for you. The issue is um, if, we, if, we, if we separate from all the other people of color in the United States, we are a 11 to 12 percent demographic. And a lot of times it falls to our shoulders, as it has in the history of this country, to try and fix color issues in the country, to fix racism, fix uh, uh, oppression, fix civil rights, all these things, um, essentially to a, a larger demographic that doesn't see the need to fix anything. You know, they're asking us to use our, you know, 
10, 10 pounds of force to move an immovable object. And when we are already starting with broken ankles, because we had our own problems. And so it's, it's, it's hard, you know, how, how can we blind lead the blind? So it, it's a lot to overcome. And yeah. sometimes we don't even realize how much we need to fix in ourselves before. And also this larger problem is not ours to fix. We're still trying to get them to understand that. Fix yeah. yourself, other people. Quit looking for us to do something. Do your own homework for once. Um, there's that part of it. But then we also need to stop fighting amongst ourselves. You know, um, everything isn't, you know, just the same way <laughs> um, the majority likes to say everything isn't about race. Sometimes some some of the things within our organization, our group isn't necessarily about color. Don't begrudge someone because they got a role if they aren't the exact skin tone of somebody. You know, don't be mad because they cast this person just because you think it should have been somebody else. If that person really is good for the role. Now, I'm not saying that people need to put on blackface like your girl did and try to be Nina Simone because that was stupid. But at the <laughs> right. same time, you know, um, I'm also not mad that they let that that um, Chadwick played Thurgood Marshall either because, I mean, it goes both ways. But we've got to start being more authentic. We've got to start dealing with our own issues and we've got to start recognizing that it's a bigger problem that we all, we need a whole lot of therapy, which goes to the idea of recognizing that therapy is not a bad word either. Cause I mean, you mentioned language. I've heard people, no matter what word you use, you can make it sound like a curse word. You know, mm -hmm. you can say, ooh, your hair is nappy. The same way you can say, ooh, your hair is 4C. The same way you can say, ooh, your hair is coily. And the, the, the ooh, your hair is, is the problem. No matter mm -hmm. what language you put after, the fact that you're still saying, ooh, your hair is, that's the mm -hmm. problem. And so we've got to get out of the fact of judging other people. And it's very much human nature to want to look at somebody else and compare themselves to, to you and find you the winner. And so we've got to stop trying to be better than our own people. That's the only way to really solve a colorism issue is to stop trying to be better than ourselves. And accept, which starts with yourself. Be happy with who you are. Then you don't have to try to compare yourself to your sister or brother from Jamaica, or Caribbean, or whatever they are, and find something wrong with them or find something better in yourself than they are. Just be happy with who you are. And that's therapy right there. Do that work and then try to fix something else. Joy, I'm not going to kid you. What you just said was so outstanding. And when we're talking about fixing ourselves, I want to take us back a little bit in time in my own past also. So when I was in 11th grade, right, first football game of the year, I had separated my shoulder in the first quarter of that game. And so went on, finished the game, uh, being young and dumb, uh, showered, and then went to a party, a high school party dance that was at FAMU High School, right? And so FAMU High School was one of, at that time, was one of the two black high schools in Tallahassee, Florida. You had FAMU High, you had Rickards High. So most of the black folks on South Side would go to parties at one or the other. So everybody was there. I'm talking about hundreds of people paying that one dollar to go in and listen to Rob Bass. It <laughs> takes two EPMD. You got to chill. I mean, we were in there having a good time. Right. So I'm in there dancing uh, with this young lady. And next thing you know, and we all know this, you start hearing the screams and the crowd starts to 
run at us, right? So you know what that was. It was a fight. Now, Erica grew up kind of sheltered, so she might not have known about that in high school. She, she, I'm sure she learned that on Spelman Morehouse's campus soon enough. But once the screaming starts, like Cedric the Entertainer, your homeboys to joke, usually you start running too because you, you're like, okay, fight. So the lights popped on because like in our old dances, it used to be pitch black in there, right? So the lights pop on. And so I made sure that the young lady that I was with was secure over in the corner. And I looked up and it was a guy that I had not met yet. Um, and I don't want to call his name out either, but a uh, light-skinned brother that I would become friends with. He had just moved back to Tallahassee. Uh, I swear to goodness, he looked like he could be Al B. Shore's skinny little brother, right? He looked so much like Al B. till, you know, it's what it was. The girls loved him. He later became one of my best friends, but I had not met this brother yet, right? But what was interesting to me was there were like five dudes that were jumping on him and his brother. And what was a trip to me is I was sitting there looking and I was like, well, this red dude throwing some hands, right? Because again, that stereotype that, you know, light-skinned brothers, light-skinned sisters, Mike can't fight. Mm -hmm. This dude was holding off three dudes by himself until eventually the swarm got him. And at that point in time, the police came in, stopped it and whatever. Little later that semester, he and I became friends. We're still close friends to this very day. Point being is that that next week when I heard from some of my boys that went to Rickards High that were a part of the group that jumped on them, I was like, man, what y'all jumped on that dude for? Uh, that N-word, think he looked like Al B. Sure. And I mean, it, at 16, I'm sitting there thinking, but he does look like Al B. Sure. So what, what well, it, was that a legitimate enough basis to try to jump and yeah to them that hatred that we're talking about mm -hmm. that goes way back to slavery mm -hmm. that ingrained lack of okay i'm thinking he has more thinks he has more worth because deep down inside i don't feel as if i have worth. right so mm -hmm. when i'm in this party i'm gonna bump into him and we're gonna swing on him and we're gonna get him just because he thinks he looks like albie shore and little do they know again that he had hands and was given as good as he got that night. And and we still joke about that sometimes to this day. I'm like, bro, I wish I had known you. I said, because me and some of my crew would have been knee deep swinging on your behalf. But we ain't jump because we ain't know him. We were just kind of sitting there like spectators. Like, oh, wow, this is pretty good, pretty good scrap going on <laughs> over there in the corner, right? Okay. So now fast forward two years later. Get to Morehouse. And one of the things, I know this is going to sound corny, but... I was so honored to be in the AUC when I got up there, right? I mean, I had grown up on FAMU's campus, but to me, as a budding historian, you know, the AUC was just, you know, Martin Luther King, you're thinking, you know, Abernathy, you're thinking, you know, all of those guys and women, Coretta, everybody on those campuses, all of those iconic pictures we've seen of them in Sisters Chapel or outside of Harkness Hall on Clark's campus or walking through Morehouse. And so that first weekend I got to the AUC, I walked around the whole perimeter. I'm talking about down uh, Ashby, up Martin Luther King, then came up the back way past Spelman. I was just so happy, me and my little crew of new friends that I had made, to finally have arrived. We were just taking it all in, which segues to we got to Club Woody. We got to Woodruff Library, for those who don't know what Club Woody is. It was our first time walking into Woodruff Library. I knew the story had to be going somewhere. 
Yeah, on Sunday morning. <laughs> and get this, Erica, watch this. They had in there in 1990 these huge uh, blow-up type posters of classes from Spellman, Morehouse, Clark, and Morris Brown from the early 20th century. Mm-hmm. So like the Spellman class of 1903, the Clark class of 1911, things like that, right? And it was clear to me as I was looking in amazement at these big, huge posters, I was like, wow, all the light-skinned people were at Spellman and at Morehouse. There was nobody in those graduating classes that looked anything like me. The darker-skinned people were at Morris Brown, one or two at Clark. And in the back of my head, I was thinking to myself, wow, how interesting is this, you know, that even less than 70, 80 years earlier than my matriculation, that the people at the school didn't look anything like my great granddaddy and those that were alive at that point in time. And so where I'm going with that is this, is that when we had to apply to Morehouse, I don't know about when y'all applied to Spelman, we still had to put a picture on our application. I'm assuming by the stairs I'm getting back from y'all, y'all didn't have to do that. No, We had to attach a picture. And we were told during orientation that that was a vestige of the old paper bag test, which is, yes, they would allow certain brown skin or dark skin blacks into Morehouse, but there was a quota, so to speak, unwritten quota, but a quota all the same, which is why when you look at some of those old yearbooks, there are very few people that look like Chuck Hobbs there. And so in the back of my head, I was thinking to myself, okay, that's unfortunate, but that's not what it is now in 1990. Mm -hmm. So why all of the animosity towards some of our lighter skinned brothers and sisters on campus? Especially when you think about 1989 and 90, what was happening? You had Wesley Snipes playing Shadow in Mo Better Blues. Mm-hmm. All the girls were talking about, oh, we love Shadow. We love Shadow. You had Michael Jordan, all the girls and women, oh, we love Michael Jordan. Denzel so, Washington. Denzel Washington. So that was during that time when the pendulum started to shift, whereby all of a sudden brown and darker skin was considered attractive. And so we were like, yay. But I also saw something else, which is, Now there's a lot of brushback that's going where a whole lot of brothers and sisters are getting dissed by brown and darker skinned brothers because they're light skinned. Or one of my close friends who was told that she couldn't be in the the fashion show because she didn't fit the profile of what they were looking for. Whereas 40 years earlier, that was all the profile at Spelman because she was even lighter than you, Joy. Do you get where I'm coming from? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's all... We're all so screwed up. And I don't think that we even think too deeply on a daily basis as to how we got to where we are, you know. And so when you and Erica are talking about good hair, bad hair, people say it and don't even think twice about it. Or as guys, when we were growing up, so many dudes would be like, oh, I want my girl to be light skinned with uh, long, pretty hair. And I'm not going to sit here and try to act like I didn't make comments like that, too when I was younger and dumber and not self-aware. And so the question is, how did we become self-aware and then how do we export that to others who might not be as educated or as introspective as we are on this very crucial topic? I hope you're ready for some great conversation right here on Better with Dr. Erica. Better with Dr. Erica. It's time for Get Your Better On. I have been struggling with working out. Like total struggle bus, full confession. I know you know how I feel. 
I don't need one more person to tell me why I need to be exercising because the issue isn't me understanding the importance of it. Something is just getting in the way of me doing it. So today I got up, got on my beloved and really neglected Peloton before I went to the clinic to see patients. I just did 10 minutes. But guess what? You can move the needle with baby steps. Sometimes you just have to do something. So if you're having difficulties with working out or any habit, just start with something small. Even if it's only five or 10 minutes, you have to start somewhere. Back to the show. Better with Dr. Erica. One of the huge things and one of the things that everyone's brought up today is on one hand, there is, there's the self-work we have to do for ourselves, for us to be as, as healthy emotionally as we can, and not only to be healthy emotionally for ourselves so that we're not passing on this continued history by our own actions and words. The other is the work that the society as a whole has to do, which we can't necessarily do for them. But just like we always talk about, it's something I tell my patients, and I'm sure all of you tell the people you work with too, which is you can't control other people. The only person you can control is yourself. But when we have actions that perpetuate things, we're helping to keep it going. Like I looked on Instagram, there are 355,000 posts with the hashtag Team Lightskin. There are 339,000 posts with the hashtag Team Darkskin. And it's not necessarily that people were saying one is better than the other. I didn't look at all the posts. But it's when we have a lot of this language that it starts perpetuating, number one, that we're not all people together. We're not all melanated people in the struggle together. It's the light-skinned people and the dark-skinned people. I don't know what happens to anybody that's medium brown. I don't know, even know where they go. Uh, <laughs> and, and honestly, you could put 10 people in a room They'll probably agree of what's really light and what's really dark, but everything in the middle, you can put 10 people in a room that are from the diaspora and where they put draw the line between mm-hmm. light and dark seems like it's something totally different. Right. But Depending it's on where you're born. Um, I got a friend, Corey, we, um, a friend of me and Erica both have, he's from New Orleans. Corey is very much um, coffee and cream you know, medium brown, but he's from New Orleans. And so he believes that he is dark skinned because in New Orleans, he is. Anywhere else in the country, he's just brown. But based on the people he grew up around, he was the darkest person he knew. And in his Mm -hmm. mind, he is Wesley Snipes. I'm like, bruh, you are are Michael B. Jordan at best, you know? So, but in his mind, it's what he thinks because that's what he grew up believing. You know? So so that's what I'd I'd encourage you to encourage everyone out there is that before, not just social, social media is easy to identify because it just lives. You can look at it. You can read it. But to start thinking about what you say. And sometimes you may catch things after you come out. They come out of your mouth. You may need to pull it back or, or say, I am not going to say that next time. But it's just really being, being thoughtful and also being thoughtful about the language you say to yourself. Like when you look in the mirror if you're not saying that you're beautiful or you're handsome or you're smart and you're intelligent, you're a problem solver, all these things, and start thinking, why do I not think this about myself? Because at the end of the day, as we said before, you can only control you 
But since we can only control ourselves, we may not be one person alone. As Joy said, we're not going to fix white supremacy on our own. But we can do better ourselves, Mm -hmm. which can still have some level of impact while we work on trying to influence white supremacy and the end of white supremacy. But I, I want to make sure that we start taking steps to be more responsible in this, this area instead of, they say it all the time, it's become such a cliche, hurt people hurt people. Mm-hmm. But it, at some point, we've got to quit hurting people. And sometimes the people is actually yourself. But right. at some point, we have to break the cycle of hurting people just because we were hurt. Right. I think we've also got to stop um, picking sides. You know, like you mentioned, Chuck, you know, this year, this is in. And then the next year, this is absolutely terrible. And the opposite is in. And it's the equal, it's the opposites that get us in trouble. Um, it, it falls back to that concept of binary thinking. Either you're good or bad, up or down, you know, black or white, hero and villain. Everybody, ain't, everybody isn't all good. Everybody isn't all bad. Um, nobody is... 100% beautiful and nobody's 100% ugly. And so just because you like this particular facial structure or um, particular level of melanin doesn't mean that the other isn't beautiful to somebody. Everybody has what they like. We shouldn't judge each other for what we like. We shouldn't judge someone else for what they like to each his own. And if we could really get there and see the beauty is a spectrum of all shapes and sizes and colors and preferences and everything and let everybody like what they like. And stop trying to pigeonhole people into, oh, you know, the Albie Shore look is in or the Wesley Snipes look is in. Oh, you know what's you know what's in this year? Pretty. However you define it. However right. you want to see it. You know, you can see Lizzo is pretty. You can see Halle Berry is pretty. You know, you can see Viola Davis as be gorgeous. You can see Lupita Nyong'o. You can say, you know what? Michael B. Jordan, fine as I'll get out. It doesn't matter. If you like it, you like it. The, but don't try to shame other people for what they like. And I think shame is a part of it too. People judging you for what you think is beautiful or telling you you can't like this because it doesn't meet somebody else's preconceived notion of what you're supposed to like. You know, mm-hmm. who's on the cover of the magazine? You know, oh, somebody just did a gorgeous uh, layout of uh, Michaela Coyle. Is that how you say her last name? From Chewing Gum? And Oh, um, I didn't know her. I didn't know her real name. Yeah. Because she's been in some really cool stuff. Because she what was the one? Me, I think I want to say it's um, either Vogue. It's, 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 she did a layout, magazine layout. And um, I just happened to scroll through it. She's giving off like mad Grace Jones vibes on there. That girl's skin is so beautiful. And, and those eyes. Looking, yes. Oh, my God. Fabulous. Like gives me What's goosebumps. Michaela Coyle. She um, she was in a really good movie about it wasn't Rwanda, but it was somewhere in Africa yes. where they'd had um they had some um ethnic wars, um, but some white person ended up adopting her. Yes. It was terribly intriguing, but I can't think of the I name of it. Yeah, it was on Netflix. I know what you're talking yes. about. Yes, yes, it was everything. But I love everything she's in, but I can't mm-hmm. think of I can't she think of the name. She's famous for, for her series called Chewing Gum yeah. on Netflix. Because okay. I think it was a British a British yes, show. it was a British show. Mm-hmm. But um, she is fabulous. And it's funny because she comes off very quirky. She's really hilarious, um, but she's a really good actress. Um, and she she recently just did a spread and it 
when I saw it, I was like, she's channeling Grace Jones right here, who was in, um, in her moment, um, shook up the world with mm-hmm. her beauty and breaking all boundaries of what you thought amazingly beautiful was for her time. Even today, Grace Jones will, will turn a look and turn a room like nobody's business. And so that really can be pretty, just yeah. as valid as seeing, you know, Michelle Pfeiffer walk into a room. We can have them both. We can have it all. We don't have to pick. And so getting out of this idea that only one is valid at any given time is what we need to erase. Everybody can be beautiful. Everybody can be pretty. And you can throw Lizzo in there too. You can throw uh, Jill Scott in there too, because I'm giving off mad Jill Scott vibes myself. So I'm all, I'm team Jill Scott up in here right now. So all of it is um, acceptable. You know, um, I'm loving that. Um, what's your girl? Rihanna put out the the, the thick brothers in her Fenty um, side uh, models for men. And I love that women were loving it and that men who were not rail thin models were seeing that women love, you know, the dudes with the, with the little thickness in them and a little hip and a little extra. And they were like, I didn't know women like my body type. Yes, we do. And so all of this is valid. All of this is attractive. And if we can just stop picking things and let everybody be and let everybody who likes it be, then we can, maybe we can get out of all of this categorization and just let everybody love everybody and then move on, you know? I love it. That I, I think that just says it, is that at some point we have to be at a place to accept each other. Yes. Um, and to me, that is that is huge. I think that's a great place for us to transition. And don't worry, we still have final thoughts left. Better with Dr. Erica. Welcome to Goodwin Medical Associates, where we provide customized, caring telepsychiatry that is delivered with compassion by a Harvard-trained, double-board-certified psychiatrist. Don't you know that everyone, including you, deserves great mental health? Visit www.goodwintelepsych.com for more information and to book your free consultation. Better with Dr. Erica. We remix the speed round questions because both of y'all have been guests before. Okay. So I'm not going to ask you the same thing and we're going to alternate. All right, Joy, what's the best lesson you learned from your dad? The best lesson I learned from my dad, (laughs) never give a man an ultimatum. Ooh, Mm -hmm. ooh, that could be a whole show. I know. He told me um, back in my early mate, uh, early uh, dating days, he said, never give a man an ultimatum because he's almost compelled to do the thing you didn't want him to do. And um, I learned it has served me well. It has served me very well um, in all of my relationships. He's like, don't make him pick because he's going to resent you making him pick. And he's probably going to pick the thing you didn't want just because you tried him. So, yeah, never give a man an ultimatum. OK, Chuck, next one is for you. Mm-hmm. What is one thing you do for self-care that is free. Read. Uh, one of the beautiful things is the internet. Uh, I tell people that all the time. I spend many hours each week just reading magazines, reading uh, book excerpts, uh, you name it. I love to read. That, that's my uh, private self-care that's for free. Oh, I love it. I need to read more for pleasure. I feel like it's not all pleasure these days. Mm-hmm. Um, the next one is for you, Joy. What is something about you that most people don't know? That I'm really introverted. I spend so much time speaking in front of people, 
um, doing things that are very in the public eye that they think that I like to be around folks a lot. I don't. I much rather be by myself. Yeah, and, she don't. Um, she don't like people. I don't like people. <laughs> <laughs> so folks are like, oh, do you miss homecoming? No, I don't. I'm gonna be home. I'm good with it. <laughs> I had to actually drag her to homecoming. Wow. She didn't want. She didn't want to go. Mm. She really. She don't like people like that. You just lucky because she like you. Well, yeah. I, I'm honored. so the next one is for you chuck Mm -hmm. what is something that you wish your parents would have done differently in hindsight i wish that my parents had raised me to be even more aware of the role of white supremacy and racism and all things that touch upon uh the black experience in america they taught me quite a bit but I think that they were holding back some things that I had to learn the hard way out here in the work world. Ooh, that's, that's a good one. That is a really good one. And Joy, what's something that has helped you get through the pandemic? Mm, I really think that my friends have helped me get through. Mm. Especially the ones that would call me on my nonsense and pull me, pull me out the house, even when I didn't want to go and um, bully me into leaving the house and getting some sunshine (laughs) when I would rather stay under the couch, under couch, under my blankets and just hibernate. So thank you for getting me out the house. (laughs) I love it. These these are so much fun because I had to remix them since Mm -hmm. both of these people were guests before. So I can't have them answering the same questions. The last speed round question is for you, Chuck. You ready? Mm -hmm. What would you like to be remembered for? I would like to be remembered for somebody who uh, thought very deeply and passionately about things that apply to black people across the diaspora. Uh, There are a number of academic areas that I enjoy. Truth be told, my favorite area of history is modern European World War II era, pre-war and during the war and post-war Europe. But truth be told, what will impact me and my offspring hundreds of years from now are the things that have happened to us as a people since 1619. And I would like for people one day to say, you know what, during the time that he was alive and writing and opining on his own shows and Joy Stevens's show and Dr. Erica Goodwin's show, Chuck Hobbs always brought it uh, fiercely each and every episode with regards to uh, what it would take to help ameliorate conditions that have been so bad for black people for so long. Um, I drop a mic, but... um... It would sound like crap on here. You, you both have me a little bit in my feelings, but I'm a hold. Um, I'm a hold back my feelings, given that they already were crushed when I was watching The Walking Dead earlier. I mean, <laughs> yes, I'm the person that cries while watching The Walking Dead. Um, I'd love to get you all's final thoughts and takeaways. Let's start with you first, Joy. Um, my final thought and takeaway. I- Everybody's been damaged by, you know, we are living through a global pandemic right now. Racism is a pandemic that we've been living through for 400 plus years. And we are just realizing that we are still living through it. So give everybody a chance to realize that we need to heal. And you too, whoever's listening to this right now, you have been infected with this as well. 
And so recognize where you need to do some work, where you need to recognize or come to grips with how it has affected your life. And don't pass this on to your next generation. Thank you. Chuck? What I would like to remember is, I think it was almost a week ago when one of the greater actors of our era, Michael K. Williams, uh, was found dead in his apartment in uh, New York. Uh, For those who aren't aware, that brother, uh, he was in many movies and many shows, but he's probably best known as Omar Little in The Wire and Chalky White in Boardwalk Empire, two uh, critically acclaimed series on HBO. And for all of the talent that that brother had, as a dancer, as an actor, uh, as a philosopher, as a humanitarian, uh, at the end of the day, uh, as we've learned more about him from those who knew him best, he, like many of our entertainment legends, uh, suffered from many of the same mental issues that some of us are going through each and every day. And I would be remiss if I didn't know that he was a darker skinned brother who as Joy was saying earlier, was still considered, and you too, Erica, handsome, uh, even with the scar that was across his face. uh, Mm -hmm. That was one of the calling cards of why it is so many directors wanted to hire him. At the end of the day, you know, he was considered a handsome sex symbol during an era within many of us who of the same age can really remember when he would have been an also ran or not considered for that. And yet the point I want to make is, He still combated demons, no matter how much money he made, no matter how popular he was. There were demons there and we all are fighting our demons uh, in different ways, shapes and forms. And so with that, I always, Erica, give you all the depth for what you do as a psychiatrist. I always implore my friends, if you don't have somebody that you can go and talk to professionally, find somebody that you can talk to professionally. And if you can't afford to talk to someone professionally, talk to a pastor, talk to a friend, but do not think that you are alone and the only person that's out here suffering and struggling during this pandemic and the oldest pandemic known to man, which is white supremacy and racism. Well, I'm I'm so glad it doesn't come to my final thoughts yet. So where can the people find you, Joy? So you can look me up on LinkedIn. Just look for Joy Stevens, New Heights on LinkedIn. You can find me at www.newheightsawait.com. Also at um, www.yoursdp.com. Those are my two businesses. Um, You can catch me on Friday nights, me and Chuck on on Facebook, cutting up around 8.45 p.m. on Steel Sharp and Steel. Check us out there. And Chuck, where can the people find you? Sure. On uh, Facebook and Instagram, I am, and on Twitter, I am the real Chuck Hobbs or at real, R-E-A-L, Chuck Hobbs, C-H-U-C-K-H-O-B-B-S. My Observation Point blog uh, is easily found, one word, chuckhobbs.substack.com. That's chuckhobbs.substack.com. Dot com. And again, every Friday on Steel Sharp and Steel and whenever I have the ability to grace thoughts and moments and and better with Dr. Erica and all of the other platforms that I think have been so critically important, uh, not only for my own mental health, but for so many of our friends and family members and just followers who appreciate that we all keep it real 
and our various platforms. Beyond them just being phenomenal, I am honored to call both of these guests my friend. I appreciate both of you for taking time out of your busy schedules, especially because you've been so busy trying to change the world. And hopefully I continue to encourage you to be a little less busy at times so that you can actually take care of yourselves. But I I just want to say how much I appreciate you. Um, how much my audience appreciates you because I can psychically feel them right now. Okay, maybe <laughs> not psychically, but um, I, I just want to really say thank you for such a thoughtful conversation. If you all don't have something to write with and you want to find these folks, all their contact information will be in the episode description. So don't worry about it. You can still find them. I'll make sure we also list when their shows are and where they are so that you can catch them on the interwebs. First thing in wrap up, I'd like to say is if anything you've learned from this discussion, one thing is, is that you have the power to be in control of yourself and your healing. That if If you're in a place and the struggle bus just seems to be your way of life, then it's probably time to get some professional help. And part of the reason this happens is is all of these different constructs, including white supremacy and colorism and all these messages that you've been getting bombarded with your entire life, or you, you may not even necessarily be of the diaspora and you're realizing all these messages you were bombarded with and all the actions you had that may have just been very detrimental to other people and now don't feel good about that, is that at some time we have to take steps to heal ourselves because without healing ourselves, it's hard for us to evolve and change our actions. And there's such a huge part of being accountable to ourselves for ourselves. So I want to encourage everyone out there. I know Chuck mentioned some options if you need low-cost options. There are a wide variety of ways you can seek mental health treatment. As far as individually, you can see a psychiatrist, as we've talked about before. Psychiatrists actually do therapy too, or you could see another kind of mental health provider that does therapy. You can also seek pastoral counseling. But the other thing to remember is that there are some free or super low cost options, especially for people that are on Medicaid, Medicare, uninsured or underinsured. And one of those typically is community mental health centers. So you can just literally Google community mental health center. It'll tell you what's in your area. And most of those generally actually are free. Um, And they're good resources. But one of the reasons I want to take this moment for this is that there's been so much hurt from white supremacy and and colorism that at some point we have to end that cycle of hurt. And sometimes ending that cycle of hurt is taking care of ourselves so that we can shift the language we have for ourselves for self-talk and also shift the language we have for others, which ideally will also improve the quality of our interpersonal relationships, which will increase the amount of support we have. So I just want to encourage people to to do the work and be mindful of what you say 
and how you interacted with others, because there's no rule that says we can't all be beautiful. You can't all be handsome. You can't all be smart. You can't all change the world. You can't, and changing the world can be making your little corner of the world better. There's a janitor somewhere that actually changed the world by, well, hell, we're in COVID, by keeping someplace clean enough that people could work safely and people could get medical care safely. There are countless stories of people that were at school and there was a janitor or a lunch lady that was nice to them that totally changed the trajectory of their life. There are people that have been cleaning houses like my grandmother that made a huge difference and some of them even helped raise people's kids. There are so many ways you can change the world. It doesn't have to be that you invented the COVID vaccine or you are super wealthy or you have a Maybach. I just want to remind you that you can, we can change the world one person at a time. And that one person may be your kid. But I feel like I'm switching into giving a whole nother segment, which this is supposed to be leading us out. But I want to say again, thanks, Chuck and Joy. Thanks to all of you that took time out of your schedule. There are plenty of podcasts, zillions of podcasts you could have chosen to listen to, but you actively made the decision to push play on this one. So thank you for choosing choosing us and for trusting me enough to have me and my guests, my super friends all up in your ears. So thank you couple quick parting words, then we're going to get you off to the rest of your day. The first is if you like what you hear, please follow or subscribe. That way you'll get notified every time a new episode drops. And you know, they typically drop on Tuesday mornings. The next thing is also, if you like what you heard, please rate. And can you do me a favor, do five stars? I I already feel the love because I know you're going to do it. The last thing is, is if you could write a review, it would be really much appreciated. It helps me bring quality guests and quality content to you just like we're doing now. And the last thing is please share. You can share it with your friends, your family, your Uber driver, your Lyft driver, the person you ran into the street, your coworker on the other side of the cube, anybody, because I just want to make sure that we're all doing our part to make the world a better place. So with that, because I've had you here for a while, I just want to say until next time, have a better day. Find me on social media at Dr. Erica, D-O-C-T-O-R-E-R-I-C-K-A on all social media and online at betterthepodcast.com. That's betterthepodcast.com. If you like what you heard, tap on that subscribe or follow button, then click share and click rate and review. Now don't panic if you don't see rate and review. Sometimes it mainly shows up on Apple Podcasts and Audible, but I appreciate hearing your feedback check back weekly for new episodes. They drop on Tuesday mornings. Until next time, be better, do better, live better. Better with Dr. Erica. If you enjoy podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Medicine in America, hosted by Anthony Manson and Todd Harrington, shares the stories of physicians, other healthcare professionals, and industry leaders who are changing the way we deliver care. There's an episode that you should check out called Primary Care Reimagined with Subscription-Based Preventative Care Model. It's an inspiring call for a paradigm shift in primary care. All of their episodes highlight innovative ideas at the forefront of the movement to transform our healthcare system. Check out Medicine in America on your favorite podcast platform 
or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.